We live inside a dream. Heaven, everything is very nice. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Stan and Davey Wedding Dates with your two uh, favorite wimps who like Kubrick and Lynch. My name is Eric Kepler. And my name is Jeremy Schmidt. Hello, hello. Welcome. Welcome. To the Black Lodge. Oh, the mystery unfolds. Yes. Uh, when we record our Kubrick episodes, we are, of course, recording from the Milk Bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we record our David Lynch episodes, we are deep in the Black Lodge. Deep inside there. Um, and I can't wait to learn about what the Black Lodge is. <laughs> 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 As of now, no idea. Uh, Eric, I have been living in the world of Eraserhead for like four and a half hours straight. I kind of had the day off today so i watched the film and then on the criterion channel they have 18 other supplemental videos regarding Eraserhead, and i watched all of them including an hour and a half long interview with david lynch just talking about the film agnosium uh i gotta say this world I, i'm cold now eric i <laughs> uh <laughs> everything around me is uh wet and uh dark yeah that's wild. So you have the uh, what? You have like the Criterion like Blu-ray or something? No, I- I'm on the channel, the streaming service. Oh, they have all that shit on the on the streaming service. Yeah, yeah, they do. I, I think whenever they have like major, whenever they're like really touting that they have like a film, like a Racerhead just happens to be a film they're like really excited about having right now. They have like all of the the stuff that might come on that DVD, including what's mm. it's so weird like. They have uh they have that they have Mulholland Drive and a bunch of supplemental videos for that and then they also have like a bunch of his shorts so if you were wanting to try the Criterion service now is probably a good time seeing as how they have a lot of that stuff in like really good quality right and I'm also I work for them <laughs> I get a huge cut whenever somebody joins the Criterion channel <laughs> uh you know I I've been thinking about uh pulling the trigger on uh my gun Mm -hmm. and by my gun i mean my credit card Mm -hmm. uh and (laughs) having it aimed at uh (laughs) and either or uh uh, a kubrick type blu-ray box set or a david lynch kind of thing i don't own any dvds or like physical media anymore right um and i also don't own a a blu-ray player but i would love to uh to be able to watch all these films in uh, the best quality possible. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I have a PS4, so that's my Blu-ray player right there. And then I have, you know, I it's weird. Like, like my Criterion Blu-rays are the only physical media that I didn't sell off. Like, all my DVDs are gone. All the rest of my Blu-rays that weren't, you know, Criterion stuff is gone. I just kind of can't see i kind of can't get rid of them you know there's something about them that are like 
I don't know. They're like they're like uh, they're a lot. There's a lot of craft involved in making those mm. Criterion stuff, and it just was really pretty. It looks good on a shelf. There's really and there's really no reason, you know. Maybe if I was like really hurting for space, but you know I'm not. So it's like there's what am I gonna sell each one of them for like three dollars? No thanks. I'll keep them on my shelf. At least a spine that reminds me that like John Cassavetes yeah. existed. <laughs> I'll give you four. Okay, you got it. It's a deal. I've shipped <laughs> them already. <laughs> All right. Uh, so if you are listening to this, if you're new to the, new to this podcast, because uh, we did just start, we just rebranded as a podcast about <laughs> David Lynch and Stanley Kubrick, uh, and we will be Stan and Dave wedding dates for a very long time now. And uh, this is last episode. We covered Kubrick's first directorial uh, debut uh, feature film. Uh, Today we're covering Eraserhead, which is, of course, David Lynch's uh, first feature film. Um, And we also have a Patreon uh, where we do weekly bonus episodes. Uh, A lot of them lately have been covering. We've been doing like uh, an entire deep dive into tales from the crypt which has been super fun um so check that out at uh patreon.com slash eric and jeremy and uh our twitter is at chucky rules 420 uh you can pretty much learn about all of the uh dumb fun shit that we have going on yeah Um, absolutely and i will say that the tales from the crypt like going through that entire series is a fucking blast. We just started season two. You can listen to all of season one now. I think we have up on the up on the Patreon. Along yes. with like we use that space to do a lot of like fun different ish episodes. Like uh, you know, movies like movies that made it into Hot Topic, for example. Like Hot Topic films, we called it. Uh, films that ended up on shirts at Hot Topic. Uh, we did an episode that was all about clowns and film, which really ended up just being a Joker conversation. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. A lot of good stuff on there. Yes. I, that I'm very proud of, and it gives us a chance to take a break from our main, our main show, which is which is good because I think having both is I get a lot of joy out of that. Yes, it's a very interesting uh, uh, contrast because we do usually record like one after another, right? <laughs> to give you a little peek behind the curtain, and it's like last week was like a huge tone shift. <laughs> yeah, um, it's almost like unlo- like loosening up the tie after the after the big uh the big day at uh, at the office kind of a thing oh for sure <laughs> like, yeah it's the dessert um, as opposed to the meal you know precisely and uh we are also we we've been talking about doing like david lynch's short films and there's probably some weird kubrick shit that we that we can do on the patreon um i there are several books that i want to that i plan on reading uh including that one about that guy that like worked with Kubrick for a number of years. Yeah, eyes who, like, wide wrote, open, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, that I would love to uh, do like a, an episode on like a little like book report. I was thinking about doing an episode, Jeremy, and I'm just going to pitch this on air is uh, we did a two part special on the shining and throughout uh, those episodes, I discovered about myself that I am a moon landing truther. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I am not totally sold on Stanley Kubrick was involved in the faking of the moon landing, but I do buy into the faking of the moon landing. Right. I would like to do a whole episode later on where I just make a case for why St- 
uh, the moon landing was faked mm-hmm. and Stanley Kubrick was involved and try and convince everyone uh, right. that that is the truth. Which is so crazy because like when we were doing those two parts of The Shining, I learned something about myself, which is that uh, uh, I'm a, uh, uh, a David Lynch did 9-11 truther. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so and we'll find out if that joke was tasteless or not in the comments, uh, in the reviews of the show. That was poorly timed. Oh, baby. That's the sound of a uh, <laughs> ice cold brewski. Yes, uh, very cool. I'm also drinking a beer. What are you? What are you? What are you pounding tonight? I got a Bell's Oberon going over here in a can. Cool. What are you very drinking? Cool. I got an Anchor Steam beer straight out of San Francisco, my darling. Yeah. Union, a union beer. A union beer for a union, uh, uh, a union, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, scab? <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, Jeremy, we did this on our, on our, uh, fucking, uh, Kubrick episode last mm-hmm. week. And by the way, we're going to be going back and forth each week. We'll cover uh, Kubrick and then Lynch and back and forth. Um, so we kind of went over just like a little bit of our history, uh, with Kubrick. I'm wondering what, what's your history with David Lynch? Which films have you seen? Tell me. <laughs> okay. So my history of David Lynch is as follows. I, I was wondering if I was going to tell us on the air, but I think, Yes. I think I'm just gonna. I think I'm just gonna do it, even though it's super humiliating. So, when the internet, like when we first got like high speed internet, obviously, your boy was experimenting with his body a little bit. Okay, I was surfing the net for some uh, illicit materials to see what would that awaken inside of me. Okay, and uh, maybe I happened upon a clip from a little movie called Mulholland Drive (laughs) (laughs) that, uh, that, that did things to me that I wasn't sure were, were possible, but it was crazy. Cause like, you know, obviously when you're like what 15, 16 years old cruising for porn on the internet, you rarely ever stumble upon like a clip from a film that you'd end up being a huge fan of. And, uh, that's what happened to me. I like, I like saw this clip and I was like, Oh, this is not porno at all. This is a film. And then I, upon discovering more about it, I was like, oh, Mulholland Drive. Well, I've never heard of this. And I literally f- stumbled into David Lynch trying to watch porn. I mean, right. that is how I found out about it. <laughs> 100%. And the scene, the scene that you're talking about is when Dan Fischler's character goes uh, behind the, <laughs> yes. uh, the, the Winkies yeah. and sees his future uh, homeless self. Yes, yeah, yeah. That, when that face popped out, that's when I popped out, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, no, so like uh, from there, it was like such a weird, I mean, how bizarre to not know something like David Lynch existed and then to find out not not only like that way, but like the depth of how fucking weird he is. It's like I didn't just find a director who made a film that has a lesbian scene in it. No, I've, I found a director mm-hmm. who's got like a whole body of work that is like completely fucking out there. Like I couldn't even find the VHS tapes or the DVDs to rent. Like there was just so little David Lynch you could even find back in like, I would say the mid aughts was when 
or mid to early aughts is like when I'm, when I'm sort of discovering David Lynch. Uh, so like, I remember like going to like Kazam or not Kazam, Kazaa. 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 Yeah. yeah. And like, like downloading lost highway, like a really shitty VHS to digital transfer of lost highway. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, I mean, Bullholland drive, you could find on DVD, but like eraser head, you had to like buy from David Lynch's website in that like huge box set. That was like a hundred dollars. I could never afford it. Yeah. Um, and then I guess like wild at heart, you, it was really hard to find blue velvet was another DVD. You could find pretty available pretty readily. And then, yeah. And then other than that, it was like, you know, I was like pirating episodes of twin peaks and, you know, I, I think like, pirating through Morpheus and Kazaa along with like discovering David Lynch and also being like a, you know, uh, um, I would say like a, a video store rat at the time. I was like, I was like hanging around like the video store was like my favorite place to go and like just buy used DVDs. Like that was like my life for so long. And David Lynch was a huge part of that. So I guess at this point I've seen almost every David Lynch film. I think the only ones I have not seen at this point are, a straight story or the, mm-hmm. or the straight story. And I like I've seen inland empire, but it's been a minute. Like I ha- I don't really remember anything about it. So that's where I'm at. Wow. I basically seen everything. Oh, and I haven't seen the newest season of twin peaks. Right. Um, you're uh yeah. Yes. Great. Yeah. What about you, buddy? I know you're, uh, you pretty much are just on the fence about the guy, right? You like can't really decide how you feel. <laughs> yeah, never heard of him, to be honest with you. Uh, no, yeah, I, much like you, uh, I discovered uh, a Blue Velvet was the first one that I saw, and I, I torrented that. Um, I just like, I would go on whatever torrent website I used when I was 17 and just download like, every like aimlessly download movies and then start watching them and decide if I like them. Like right. I would just like very, uh, haphazardly just download whatever. Uh, and I remember like seeing the, the cover for blue velvet and I was like, yeah, oh, this looks kind of interesting. Uh, really liked it. Um, and enough so that I sought out another David Lynch movie, which was Eraserhead. Mm. And that fucking split my brain open uh, to a point where I don't think I've ever like recovered from it. <laughs> uh, I like I saw Eraserhead at the time in my life that I've talked about before, where I there was like two years in high school where I only listened to Radiohead, <laughs> uh, and I was very into like psychedelia, and I was like reading a lot of fucking like jd salinger and stuff Hell and yeah it was a lot of like it, it was a lot of like word plus head content <laughs> so it's like yes radio head talking heads yeah. eraser head perfect the fountain head the fountain head over and yeah over. you're a huge rand head <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 still am still am uh yeah and so that movie and then i remember like talking to my friend nate who worked at my neighborhood blockbuster that i would go to like once or twice a week and he was like oh you should watch mulholland drive so i rented that uh and it i did it didn't make sense to me the first time i watched it but i loved it did uh, I, let me ask you this did any of them make sense to you the first time you watched it i mean i guess blue velvet, blue velvet. does because it's a yeah. pretty much a straight narrative but i feel like the um, the rest of his films i mean I, there's elephant man 
and Blue Velvet yeah. are probably the only two. And I guess the straight story. Well, I guess, right. yeah. I mean, I guess actually, to be honest, he's he, there is a pretty even split there, isn't it? Of like avant-garde experimental non-linear storytelling and his like more linear, but still batshit crazy stuff. Sure. Yeah, I would say uh, uh, Lost Highway was another one where I still didn't get it. Like those two, actually those three, like Eraserhead, Mulholland Drive, Lost Highway were movies where I was just like, I don't know what the fuck this means. Mm -hmm. I don't even necessarily know if I like some of it, Mm -hmm. but I can't like take my eyes off of it. And I would just watch those movies in Blue Velvet um, every once in a while for like years. I just kind of like kept going back to those movies. And then when I, in 2014 was when I like really just fucking got lynch pilled like very hard. <laughs> uh, I saw Twin Peaks for the first time. There was a, uh, it was my last year in college. There was this cool like, coffee shop slash bar that uh it was kind of like the art scene in my college town and all of my friends hung out there there was this girl that worked there that i had a huge crush on she um was very like kind of like mystical and like uh (laughs) into like tarot cards much cooler than me sure Uh, sure yeah and she was just kind of like offhandedly telling me about uh, this show she watched, Twin Peaks, and I like knew that it was a David Lynch thing, never watched it, and she was like, oh, you should like check it out. It was pretty good. So I started watching Twin Peaks kind of just to like have something to talk to this girl about, and I went home and watched the pilot and just was fucking like just in it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this happened during one of the best months of my life. Uh, it was a polar vortex uh, in Wisconsin, which was like one of the coldest years on record. You like couldn't go outside. Uh, we had a month off of school for winter break. I stayed in my college town and worked at the library uh, where nobody was at because like it was break or whatever. Uh, so for an entire month, all that I did, and I just started like learning how to write screenplays. So over the course of the month, all I did was like go to this fucking big spooky library, (laughs) sit at a desk. And like, I remember I was reading a farewell to arms and just like writing the screenplay. And then I would go to this bar and like bullshit with my friends for hours and then go home and watch like several episodes of Twin Peaks. Yeah. That's and a pretty just nice that life, I gotta say. It was, I look back, like when I'm like, tr- when I'm actively trying to think back on like a nice time in my life, I almost always think back to that. Yeah. Uh, it was just like so simple. And uh, yeah, like fucking Twin Peaks, when you're into that, when you're like watching that show, there's nothing better. Um, and yeah, and, and as you know, when The Return came out, um, I was just, it, Twin Peaks was all that I talked about, uh, all that I thought about. I would read like fan theories on message boards and shit all day at work and uh, just, um, I was crazy. But yeah, so I've seen like pretty much everything except I haven't watched a straight story all the way through and I have not seen The Elephant Man. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. But uh but yeah, that's kind of my 
my background with the lynch man uh so we are going to be doing like i, I think we discussed we're going to do the art life and a life in pictures first two episodes yeah i think uh, that'd be fun i think that would be a fun thing to do is to remind ourselves and the listeners just who these guys are not just from this overhead like macro point of view but really dig into like their bios and sort of interesting stories things that happen i know that kubrick has a plethora of them and like the more i learn about david lynch's life and some of the situations he was in, like he was like one of the directors up to direct empire strikes back once upon a time. (laughs) And like, yeah, they're just like little stories like that. I feel like are going to be really fun to revisit. And I would like to do that because they're both super interesting. I mean, we picked these two for a reason. Um, so yeah, like I'm excited to do that. Yeah. So, and I like your pitch of doing that kind of maybe like halfway through or something covering their, their filmography. Um, but I, I, I do want to just kind of like set the scene a little bit about like where David Lynch is at. Cause this is his first film. So he was born in Missoula, Montana. Uh, his dad was a research scientist for the, uh, U S department of agriculture. So they traveled all over the place. So, as Lynch was growing up, he lived in Idaho, Washington, North Carolina, Virginia, I think a few other places. Uh, This is a quote from Lynch. He said, I found the world completely and totally fantastic as a child. Of course, I had the usual fears like going to school. Uh, For me back then, school was a crime against young people. (laughs) Um, Lynch is uh, a proud Eagle Scout. (laughs) Uh he uh, was interested in painting and drawing at an early age, briefly studied painting. He went to a lot of different schools. He, at one point, like just went to college to avoid uh, going into the Army. Um, he went to the School of Art and Design in Washington, D.C., School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, where he, this is kind of weird, he was roommates with... Uh, the guy from the Jay Giles band, uh, Peter Wolf, <laughs> which is strange. Uh, he then he moved. He decided to like move to Europe for three years, but he came back after fifteen days. <laughs> uh, he eventually moved to Philly, which Eraserhead is actually apparently uh, the kind of like the city. Uh, the setting is very inspired by Philadelphia. Right, yeah. Um, but uh, while he was there, he uh, met Peggy, his first wife. She gave birth to their daughter. And uh, a lot of the the big sort of like theory of the meaning behind Eraserhead is about like what Lynch was going through. Uh, he had uh, a, a daughter who had, I can't remember exactly. She had some kind of a deformity, Jennifer, Jennifer Lynch, mm. some kind of deformity. And Lynch was kind of like locked in this marriage at a young age and he didn't necessarily want to be. Um, he made his first uh, short films like Six Men Getting Sick Six Times, which is insane. Mm. And one called The Alphabet uh, moved with his wife to LA where he began studying filmmaking at the AFI Conservatory. Um, and this is the last sort of interesting thing that leads us to Eraserhead is the dean of AFI uh, asked Lynch to reconsider dropping out after uh, Lynch was not happy with the response of this uh, project he was working on called Green uh, Garden Back. Right. 
Um, so basically this Dean like stood up for him and was like, we got to keep this guy around and like fund his project. And the project that they ended up funding was Eraserhead, which was like a 21 page script. And they assumed they were going by like page the, a minute. Uh, yeah. <laughs> page a minute. So they didn't know it was a feature right? <laughs> is what happened, which, which is what leads to the fact that this movie took like six years to make and, Lynch had to like sleep on the set for a year and stuff, um, which he recounts so, yeah. as being the best time of his life. Like he yes. says to yeah. live at the same place you work is the best thing ever, <laughs> which is, yeah. I mean, so the, the story with that Dean is actually a little bit more interesting than even that. Like the Dean. So Lynch basically drops out of AFI in a huff. Like mm-hmm. he's not getting, what he wants. They're making him do this script garden back, which I think he hates. Like, even though he wrote it, he like doesn't, he, he wants to do a racer head. So he quits the school. The Dean like calls him into his office and is like, look, what do you want to do? We'll do, we'll basically do whatever you want. Like, we don't want you to leave. Like we'll give you whatever you want. What do you want to do? He's like, I want to do a racer head. And you're like, okay, we'll do, let you do a racer head. It's 21 pages. So it'll be 21 minutes. And he's like, no, I think it's going to be a little bit longer than that. Lynch says, and then the Dean's like, okay, like 42 minutes. <laughs> and then Lynch is like, sure. And basically the whole school like rallies against Lynch doing this film, except for the Dean and the Dean stands up for Lynch. Later it would come out from the Dean's son at the Dean's funeral. The Dean's son told Lynch that apparently the Dean didn't even like the script. Didn't even like, Maybe didn't even like the movie Eraserhead, but just felt like it's the type of film AFI should be funding. Like, the, I guess right. I guess he was huh. proud enough of the concept and what Lynch was all about to put backing behind it and really believe in this thing without even really liking it himself. And he stood up to, I guess, like the board or whatever, to the point of like, they were like, look, we don't want it, you, you to be doing this. And he's like, I, I believe in this. Like, I'll fucking resign if you guys don't want to keep funding this project. And they like they called his bluff and he turned in his resignation letter and they just accepted it. Like he wasn't he wasn't trying to resign over Eraserhead, Dean Frank Daniel. <laughs> he was yeah. trying to basically like, you know, scare them out of causing any more of like friction. And they just instead just took his his uh, resignation as as his word, and then that was the end of his career as dean of the <laughs> AFI. It's insane. Yeah, and it was all over this yeah. film. Like this film is really really fucking interesting, not just to watch, but like all of the surrounding stories behind it. Like this film took like the like Avatar <laughs> time to make, pretty much. Yeah. You know, like. It was very, it, it, it was like their whole lives, like the cast and crew, like their whole lives was working on Eraserhead from 1971 until it's released in 1977. That's a long time to be working on one film, especially a film like this. <laughs> right. It's nuts. It's really crazy. And when you listen to like interviews with the cast, they talk about how they were, they kind of just became like, like a family, you know, like, uh, Fuck you. And some of them like were family, like uh, Jack Nance uh, and uh, I will remember her name, Catherine Coulson, his wife, who was right. like uh, an assistant director. Um, 
and their son is like the boy who picks up Henry's head or whatever right. later on in the film. Yeah, um, and I know there's another Lynch. They, there's another Lynch name in the in the cast and I mean in the crew. Oh, interesting. I don't know if it's Peggy yeah. or if it's an, his like it's like his brother or so. One of his family members is also in the crew. I saw in the credits. Um, so a little bit of more, just kind of like interesting background on the film, uh, written in, uh, 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 let's see. Oh, er- Eraserhead, uh, was also served as an influence on Kubrick's film, The Shining. Yeah. Uh, Kubrick reportedly screened the film for the cast and crew, uh, which I find very interesting. That is and cool. cool. Uh, very cool. So stars Jack Nance, Charlotte Stewart, uh, Gene Bates, Judith Anna uh, Roberts. So Jack Nance uh, plays a pretty uh, pretty prominent role in Twin Peaks later on. And actually, Catherine Coulson, his wife, who's not in this but helped out uh, a lot, um, was the log lady in Twin Peaks. Oh, interesting. Passed away not too long ago. Yeah. So ja- um, uh, if we're if we're still talking pre production or this production of the film. Uh, yeah. One thing I like, one thing, one little piece of trivia I really like is that uh, Lynch kept getting, you know, extended finances for, and from borrowing money basically from everybody. Like there's a story yes. where somebody like takes their son to a, uh, a pediatrician. And after the son is like the checkups over the, like the per, like the mom asked the pediatrician if they would help fund the film. Like, <laughs> Like, just they were getting it from everywhere. But one of the places that yeah. Lynch kept getting money from was Jack Fisk, who plays the the guy in the on the planet. Like, the guy pulling okay. the, the levers. And his wife, who is Sissy Spacek. Yes. Yes. <laughs> which is yeah, fucking crazy. But they kept, like, they yeah. kept helping fund the movie throughout. Also, uh, Jack Nance is in every single David Lynch film except for Elephant Man until his death. Yeah. Oh, okay. In 96. Um, Kat, yeah, in an interview that I saw with Catherine Coulson, she talks about um, how basically, like, there was a point where David Lynch was like, we, we have to stop production. I, like, don't have money anymore. We can't fund it. Mm-hmm. And David was kind of really, really upset. And, and the rest of the cast was like, we can't, we can't stop. Right. And there, it got to a point where, like, they were you know she even she said that like she would just it became a regular thing where like on her way to set she would pick up some film Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like just to pitch in like everyone was just pitching in um and i just think that's really like incredible i just think it's so uh this film is so impressive in like so many ways uh apparently lynch was Lynch was gotten to, got to the point where he didn't believe that they were going to get the finances to finish the film so much so that he started building a miniature version of Henry Spencer's room and a little miniature oh. version of Henry Spencer because he was planning to finish the film with stop motion animation because he couldn't get money to continue doing it the way that he was doing it as an actual like live action feature. So it would have been this film that was like, real people cut in with stop motion animation which also sounds like pretty cool <laughs> yeah that sounds very like a very david lynch uh idea he one one thing that he like came up with that he didn't use in the film that i thought was interesting because it does he does use this technique in twin peaks uh and also 
Radiohead uses this in uh, a, a, a song. Um, fuck, I forget. Uh, like spinning plates, but mm-hmm. it's the uh, it's uh, a technique where he basically would have uh, an actor learn how to say a line backwards mm. and he would record them saying it backwards and then for effect play it backwards mm-hmm. so it would like sound like fucked up or whatever right um we will see that uh in twin peaks it's really cool um, yeah that's a very famous thing in twin peaks but it, yes. it's that idea that retroactively when you go back through a lot of his work you'll see like and i think for Absolute, I'm absolutely positive in this film, even though no one has said it and I can't find it anywhere, that a lot of these shots, especially when there's no dialogue, a lot of these shots are filmed, they're filmed with the act, they're filmed, they're basically presented backwards. Like, there's so many, like, there's the shot specifically, I'm thinking of the man who's pulling the levers. They call him, like, the guy on the planet or whatever. Yeah. He yeah. is, when his when you see him for the first time, like, I if you study his movements closely, it's that very Lynchian movement of, like, something being basically shown to you that was filmed backwards. Like, like the, the film mm. reel is being... Sp- played in reverse like no like no one moves their hand and neck that way it's it only comes from being played and played backwards and it it causes this like really frightening effect because you know it's like you're looking at a human being but you're seeing it move slightly different than you're used to i believe they call it uncanny valley right where it's like the, the idea that you can see like oh this isn't exactly real like this is either a robot or something different um but yeah, I just, I just, I noticed that m- more in this film than I had ever before of like, oh fuck, like sometimes they are moving backwards. Like some, some, in some of these shots, they, they are played backwards just, just to be, just to make it seem or look weird. Another sequence that I think might be shown to us backwards in some, in some parts is the, the song, the In Heaven song. Um, mm. Like just the way yeah. she moves is so is so weird it's almost like uh, not not like a dream but it's more stilted like a like a like an animal or something she like the way she'll blink and look to the side it, it doesn't look natural and i think i think there are parts of that sequence for sure that are also presented to us backwards yes um yeah so before we dive into the plot just like a little a little bit about Lynch's like influence for the sh- for the story. He was heavily insu- influenced by uh, Kafka's *The Metamorphosis*, uh, which is very good. I read that around the time um, that I was kind of like going through a big Lynch phase. Uh, and what did you it's, think? Like, very did you evident. like it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's like very much like I see why David Lynch uh, likes <laughs> this <laughs> likes this piece of writing. Right. Um, not enough paragraph breaks, I remember. I was, like, reading it. It's like reading, like, a fucking... If you read, like, a Jack Kerouac, like... Yeah. There's, like, a version of Jack Kerouac's On the Road where it wasn't edited, and it's just, like, there are there isn't a single paragraph break, and it's just all stream <laughs> of consciousness. It's fucking obnoxious, because yeah. you, like, don't know where you are. It, it's crazy. <laughs> but uh, I remember the metamorphosis was... I was like, Jesus Christ, they have a paragraph break shortage in uh uh wait, germany or wherever yeah germany yeah. or whatever yeah. 
Uh, and also uh, The Nose by uh, Gogol, Nik- Nikolai Gogol. Mm-hmm. Uh, in uh, 2007, Lynch said Eraserhead is his most spiritual film. He also, uh, as we will talk about a lot in the future, uh, probably, he, he is very much into transcendental meditation. And when he does speak publicly, it's usually just about transcendental meditation he doesn't like do a lot of interviews about his own work, mm-hmm. um, which is like kind of cool and kind of frustrating that like the only times he like publicly speaks about stuff is about TM and his like TM uh, like company or whatever, whatever he does. Right. But, uh, and it's like, and it's what also adds to that frustration I think is that like he seems to have memorized four or five things to say about each film and he repeats those over and over again. Like you'll, you'll read or listen to multiple interviews with David Lynch where even if the question being posed to him is not exactly, doesn't exactly fit the answer he's giving. He's just going to give that answer anyway. Like I read this, right. I read this interview with him that was just very recent after the Criterion Channel launched and it was about Eraserhead. And, you know, the question being posed to him was something like, you know, do you, what do you, like, after all this time, why do you think the film resonates with people? And his answer ended up being something to the, like, it was like a non sequitur that led into him just saying something like, everybody gets whatever they want out of the film or something like that. But it was like, yeah. but it was like, it didn't exactly answer like, why do you think that people like this? You know, it was like, it was just, it just seemed like a stock kind of thing that he's given. I mean, he likes to say the same things about the the film a lot. Like everybody gets something different out of it. Um, yeah. You know, you know, it's based on Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, like, you know, just a couple of different factoids. But other than that, like he really doesn't go into too much detail into like what the story is about or, it, you know, we don't learn anything new by just prodding him more and more over time. He's pretty, he's pretty devout in his, in his answers. Um, before we move on to like the plot or anything also, I I, I was hoping we could get, talk about Jack Nance just for like a second before we dive in. Yeah. I feel like it's pretty important just because for sure he is like David Lynch is the auteur puppet master behind the whole thing. But I think Jack Nance is like, this is a tour de force by him. He is in almost every scene in almost every shot. Um, he plays the eraser head. He's the guy. Yeah. He's the guy with the hair, right? Yeah. He's the guy with the big old hair. <laughs> uh, Jack Nance is a very interesting, uh, performer. He is like, if David Lynch was an actor, I think kind of like, they're very similar. They also love each other very dearly. they, we're good friends, close friends, spent a lot of time together. Apparently, even though um, Jack Nance was not in a ra- in The Elephant Man, David Lynch wanted him to be The Elephant Man at one point. Oh. He was, like, up for the role. And then, you know, I think because that film was, like, a big studio film, produced by Mel Brooks, actually, which is pretty strange, uh, John Hurt ended up becoming the got the role of the elephant man and then like it's shot in England. So like Jack Nance couldn't even get over there. Apparently was part of the story, but um, Jack Nance, like he was uh, born in Boston, but he was raised in Dallas, Texas, which I think is pretty crazy. Like that's where I'm from. And um, yeah, so he, he basically is a racer head and then he, he has a pretty, he has an okay film career, but he's mainly known for his his like roles in David Lynch films, everything from Dune to Lost Highway 
too wild at heart. He's like, he's like in pretty much every one. So there, the, there are some really weird circumstances surrounding his death. And I just wanted to, to throw this out here. I was talking to my girlfriend about this today and we both decided like, like his story is ultimately very tragic. And like, we know people kind of like this who just kind of like go through life and like, you know, you kind of like get the sense that like they might not be long for this world just in their sadness and their grief and like kind of how they carry themselves. And Jack Nance is definitely one of these people. Um, he divorced Catherine Coulson in 1976. So like before the film released, actually, they would already be divorced. In May 1991, he married Kelly Jean Van Dyke, who worked in the adult film industry under the name Nancy Kelly. But you might recognize the name Van Dyke as she is one of the Van Dykes. She is the daughter of Jerry oh. Van Dyke, who's Dick Van Dyke's brother. <laughs> so briefly, Jack Nance is jerry van dyke's son-in-law whose uncle is basically dick van dyke huh. which is insane so his wife though uh they were married in 1991 his wife van dyke committed suicide on uh november 17th 1991 according to her younger brother richard nance who was in bass lake california filming meatballs four at the time (laughs) attempted to console her over the phone as she threatened suicide after a lightning storm knocked out the phone lines in bass lake nance and the director of meatballs four bobby logan found a deputy sheriff who contacted los angeles police and the apartment manager they broke in and found that she had hung herself so jesus yeah, pretty, pretty like outstandingly tragic circumstance in which you are desperately trying to contact your wife to console her out of literally taking her own life that night and then you can't get there in time. She does it anyway. Now, this is the strange God. events surrounding his death. On December 29th, 1996, he lunched with friends Leo Bulgarini and Catherine Case Nance had a visible crescent-shaped bruise under his eye, and when asked about it, he related to them the story about a brawl outside of a Winchell's Donuts store on the morning of December 29th. What? So this is that same morning. He like shows up to breakfast after coming from a Winchell's Donuts where he apparently got into a fight. He described the incident as, I told off some kid. I guess I got what I deserved. He soon went home complaining of a headache. The injuries he received caused a subdural hematoma resulting in his death the following morning. His body was discovered on the bathroom floor of his South Pasadena, California apartment by Bulgarini, the person he had breakfast with the morning before on December 30th, 1996. An autopsy revealed that the actor's blood level alcohol was at 0.24 at the time of his death. Hmm. So basically he had the, he already had the hematoma it probably would have killed him anyway, but the fact that he was as drunk as he was definitely helped the bleeding along. So, um, yeah, no one knows what the brawl was all about. If it was an actual brawl, who the kid was that he fought, like it's all very mysterious and extremely sad, but that's, That's that's Jack Nance for, for you. That is the person who played Eraserhead. 
That's Pasadena for you. <laughs> fucking yeah. brawl out of a donut shop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't ever move That's to crazy. South I didn't Pasadena. know any about that. Uh, you know, I basically live in South Pasadena right now. I live in Highland Park, which is right below Pasadena. Yeah, there's like supposed to be, uh, there's like a, uh, this could turn into a whole tangent. I'm just going to say, there's like a portal to hell in Pasadena, I believe. Oh, as far as um, Aleister Crowley believes or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, God, that's another episode. Oh, yeah, let's do uh, that. I'll have to figure episode. out how to tie that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we open on, uh, we open on, uh, uh, Henry, right? We have Henry's sideways head mm-hmm. floating. Uh, we see a little, a little cum come out of Henry's mouth. Is that what that right? is? <laughs> it's like a little sperm, <laughs> right? Is that cum that comes out of his mouth? Interesting. Yeah. The man in the planet pulls the lever. Uh, Henry's head uh, uh, floats in the sky. Yeah, uh, Wikipedia says a giant spermatoz spermatozoon that's what i say every like time creature. i every time i uh shoot eric uh whenever i'm me and i'm, I'm making sweet love to my lady i go spermatozoon <laughs> uh so she emerges from uh spencer's mouth floating into the void uh the man in the planet appears to uh control the creature with his levers uh eventually making it fall into a pool of water um so in an industrial, by the way, just striking, like one of the best, uh, one of my favorite opening shots of anything that exists. It's fucking great. Even just like the simplicity of like how his head is sideways is right. like very David Lynch and very, uh, it just looks really fucking good. Yeah. And I guess we should describe to the listeners what they're seeing in case they've forgotten or haven't watched it recently, but it is like, it is like film layered on top of each other. So it's like a shot of like that, a spermatozoon thing, uh, uh, on top layered on top of, you know, Henry Spencer's sideways head with his mouth open. And I, and we do get a look at the man in the planet, right? the and we get to see his horrible deformed body he seems to have like sores covering his entire torso and face yeah but because it's shot in such like amazing black and white i mean like this is like this is black and white dude this is like the blacks are true black very dark and then what is lit is lit with like basically i think they described it as like basically like bulbs like they just like like light bulbs they would like just light various features and so you're getting like I, harshly contrasted images. I watched this film with the eyes of a hawk <laughs> for two hours. Did not see a single speck of color, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. It, it's black and white as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, uh, it looks great uh, in uh, in industrial cityscape. Which, by the way, I don't remember if it's this location, but one of these locations were in were in like a fucking like construction site basically is the beverly center yes that's right which is very funny and interesting the beverly center uh, wasn't there th- then but it is no it no since this is built. like before yeah. yeah it's like the location yeah uh so spencer walks home with his groceries uh he is stopped outside his apartment this is my by favorite th- by the way this is mike my, my favorite sequence i think in the whole film 
I think we've already skipped over like one of my favorite moments too. By the way, I do think this movie is very funny. Oh, it is. And it's very funny. The first like big laugh for me is when he gets into his apartment and just waits for which by the way, just a striking shot. Like really fucking good when he gets in the elevator. Yes. But how he just waits yeah. <laughs> for like what feels like forever it's is very way funny. too long. He stands in the elevator yes. waiting. And then even when the doors close, it takes so long for that elevator to actually go up. But my, my favorite sequence is him walking home with his groceries. Like, it yes. is so beautiful. It And it also, like, if you didn't know that this was modern times, like, this could be, like, a post-apocalyptic movie, for all you know, at this in this moment, sure. right? Like, you've seen no other people yet. You've seen no, like, proof of life anywhere. And to be quite frank, like, there's... Even till the end of the film, there's no proof that, like, this is you know, modern day USA. You know what I mean? Like it still could be a post-apocalyptic world. I just like that vibe where it's like, I don't know, like Omega man, he's the only one around. And oftentimes I describe Eraserhead as being like the most cleanly directed film I've ever seen. This is what I mean too. We're like Mm. not a single frame of this film is that there's not a single frame in this film that shouldn't be there. Like, Right. It moves so beautifully from one shot to the next. Um, yeah, so we get to his apartment and we meet Judith yes. Anna Roberts, who's the actress playing yes. uh, the titular beautiful girl across the hall. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Yeah, she says his his girlfriend called Mary X uh, and has invited him to dinner with her family. Uh, very awkward uh, interaction. Spencer leaves... Uh, his groceries in his apartment, which is filled with piles of dirt and dead vegetation. Was is some of that not hair? I thought there I thought like on top of his dresser was like a big pile of hair. Is it dirt? Oh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I know like right next to his bed is the like potted plant without the pot, basically. Right. That thing's cool. But then also yeah. next to his bed, I thought like and also by like the radiator, I thought it was hair, but I maybe I'm wrong. You know, that's like part of why I love this how this is in black and white is like David Lynch likes to show you really weird shit and when it's in like a format where you're not seeing color and your like eyes aren't that used to it these days it's like really hard to tell like you you like don't know exactly what you're looking at uh, which is very fun but uh, that night Spencer visits X's home uh, conversing awkwardly with her mother at the dinner table, he is asked to carve a chicken. Oh man, no, X's... we got we we can't we got to back up. Sorry, bud. Yeah, we got to back up. Like that's this whole sequence. Like, so we skipped over the entire living room conversation, which comes first. Yeah, which is like very awkward. Where it's it's incredibly awkward. And in, in the, there's like a one shot that doesn't cut. Where I guess Lynch just told whoever's playing the mother, um, to ask him a question and then wait like a full minute and a half like a full like 90 seconds before saying another word (laughs) like it is like it is like very long between like when the mom says the first thing she says and when the mom says the second thing she says and in the meantime the daughter starts having convulsions and can only be calmed down by the mother combing her hair yeah yeah and then the, it's the fucking dad comes out and because he, I guess because he's a plumber, like his audio motif is when he starts to talk, we hear the pipes just start getting super loud around him. <laughs> and he starts like, he's basically, I, I guess the scene is basically dissecting like how awkward it feels to meet your 
significant other's parents for the first time. But it does so in such like right. almost a clownish, like cartoony way. It's so fucking right. insane. Like this scene could be in a like a Judd Apatow movie, right? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, especially when the dad's like, yeah. "Take a look at my knees. Look at my knees." <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, he's asked to carve a chicken, uh, which is like fucked up and gross. Like when the like goo squirts out of the chicken. Yeah, the chicken uh, animates. So we, we, the dad has already yeah. said that the chickens are are man made. Which is, I guess, yeah. some sort of comment on like microwavable food, like n- nuclear family, sort of like how food became less like food over time. But yeah, yeah, the chickens are man-made. He gets them out of the oven. There is a grandmother uh-huh. in the back. You remember that? Like when the mom. I love that. The- I love how that's like just not explained really. Yeah. She, we, she just goes back there and like tosses the salad with her hands. Yeah. It's great. It's very like yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre a little bit, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of. Yeah. So yeah, um, I guess, yeah. So he yeah. starts to carve into the chicken. He doesn't even barely touch it before it just starts oozing goo. And when it oozes yeah. goo, the mom starts to go bananas. She's like looking up at the ceiling, also having convulsions, and then she runs out of the room. Yeah, this family's uh not normal. <laughs> um after dinner, Spencer is cornered by X's mother, uh, who asks him if he and Mary X had uh, sexual intercourse. Mm-hmm. Uh and then she tries to kiss him. Yes. <laughs> which is like fucked up and confusing uh she tells him that x has had uh his child and that the two must marry uh x however is not sure if uh what she bore is a child he says i think at one point he says like it's too like soon or something um well yeah you know what i mean like he's yeah yeah well yeah so so Mary, we'll call I, the, the Wikipedia calls her X. Let's call. I, yeah, I, we should call her. We should Mary. call her Mary. Um, there's the mom, the dad, and Mary, and then Mary. So Mary, like, she's crying. The mom is telling Henry that they had a kid, and the kid is at the hospital. And then Mary's like, "I'm not even sure if it is a kid." And then mo- the mom's like, "Be quiet." Basically, like, cornering Henry into like marrying her without having all the information, I think it's sort of like what's going on here. Like take responsibility for what you've done. Right. Get married to my daughter, even though you had a, a child that you weren't even around for. <laughs> and this child is not normal. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the couple moves into Spencer's one-room apartment uh, and begin caring for the child. Uh, it was already comically was a... small apartment before they moved oh, in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, a swaddled bundle with an inhuman snake-like face resembling the spermatozoon-like creature. So... This creature, uh, David Lynch, uh, much like a lot of uh, things throughout, uh, in in various works that he's done, he like does n- has never explained like how this creature was made, like practically. Mm-hmm. Um, there is like some. There were like rumors that it might be uh, like a baby cow, like mm-hmm. a dead like baby cow, like skinned or something. Um, a fetus, one thing a, ca- that I, a cow fetus, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing that I did hear is that uh, Lynch's daughter was like on set one day and was like playing with the creature, so I would probably rule that out. Sure. 
Um, but it does look fucking awesome. Like it looks so good and yeah. very it looks uh, so unnerving. It looks so wet and very wet. And also, yeah. like it's got it's for a puppet for a production that had no money. Its eyes move and shit. Like it's good. It's yeah. it looks good. <laughs> yeah, like when it's coughing and shit. Like it looks. It's very realistic for like what it is. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's it's just really fucking jarring, especially when you see it for the first time. Like there, it had been a while since I've seen Eraserhead. So like the first time seeing it again, I was like, oh yeah, this thing is like really fucked up looking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So it, and it's also a handful. Uh, it refuses uh, food, cries incessantly. Uh, the sound drives Mary to hysteria, uh, and she leaves Spencer and the child. Uh, is this when she's like grinding her teeth and shit? Uh, no, or is that that's later. later. That's later. Oh, okay. the, in this scene, uh, this scene's really funny because, like we see their loveless marriage like just how it's weird because yes. mary when when we first meet her is so like has no agency like it's just her family is kind of running the show and she looks so sweet and innocent but within the course of like a few scenes having to deal with like real life and this fucking baby she becomes like this person who's just like it's so ir- irritable to the point of fucking abandonment like jack or sorry, Henry tries to like touch her at one point in bed and she just fucking like shakes him off really hard. And then she like leaves to go to her parents' house. And there's that scene where she's like getting her suitcase from underneath the bed. She's like pulling it over and over. And this scene is so brilliant because it's like, it's shot from his point of view laying in bed. We see Mary get up to the door and then walk back. And we see her just basically, it looks like she's humping the the, the the foot of the bed and he's looking at it's her like wild. what the fuck are you doing and then we just <laughs> see the suitcase just like dislodge from underneath the bed and she basically instructs henry like to take care of the kid anyway yeah it just she just wants a decent night's sleep oh yeah and honestly she um, deserves it she just pushed that thing out you know the like what like one of the saddest things uh, I've ever heard is like when uh, that line when uh, like after the mom says that they have to get married or whatever and she's just like oh you don't mind do you Henry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Henry's just like hesitates and he's like uh no <laughs> of course not um yeah so Spencer uh, attempts to care uh, for the child uh and he uh, and he learns that it uh, struggles to breathe and has developed painful sores yeah uh very gross yeah they have like a um, what is that called like a breath like a res not a respirator but like a a weird like oh yeah that, it's like a humidifier, a humidifier kind of like right on over its face yeah, yeah. But it doesn't look like it looks like just like a contraption that like David Lynch came up with yeah. uh Spencer begins uh, experiencing visions, uh, again seeing the man in the planet, uh, as well as the lady in the ra- radiator uh, who sings to him as she stomps upon uh, spermatozoon-like creatures. Uh, this is wild. I love this shit so much. Yeah, um, this is like maybe top three moments of the film is the song. It's really good. Yes. Just her singing it. Um, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe mm-hmm. it. It's so weird. It's like, it's almost at the halfway point of the film, and it just takes. It's like the film just takes a musical break to sing. Yeah. To sing to you, and the song couldn't be any better. I one time, by the way, do you, are you a fan of the Pixies? 
Yeah, I know they have the they do this song. Yeah, I saw him live one time and um the bass player Kim Deal came out and sang it and it was just like so fucking nice. cool. <laughs> um after uh oh yeah and uh what do you think of uh what do you think of the lady in the radiator's uh like makeup and her cheeks and stuff I, by the way I don't know what to make of it honestly I've ne- I've never understood it it's very unsettling to me though it it just reminds me of like a giant two giant zits I I don't know what they are but what yeah. what do you think I love it uh there's certain things that'll come up in in David Lynch's work where he he like intentionally makes certain like props and costumes and just various things um obviously artificial. I don't know if that's what he was going for with this, but like in Blue Velvet there's like these birds that are clearly right. like but not robotic or whatever. Birds, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so I don't know if that was part of it. I I just think it looks really fucking good and it's like um, much like a lot of the visuals in this movie just like makes you, um, it's just very confusing. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it's like, uh, you, I don't know. I, it, this whole movie is so fucking insane. <laughs> uh, after a sexual encounter, uh, with the beautiful girl across the hall, which is cr- uh, a really cool scene. Like the lead into yeah. it is like very patient. Like, yes, every line is delivered so slowly back and forth to one another. And that's not unlike anything else in this film. Everything is delivered very slowly, but like this scene in particular was very creepy. Um, yeah. David Lynch has a very like, I, I think, I feel like he's repressed sexually, which growing up in the Midwest makes a lot of sense um, because he, his, his interpretation of sexual encounters are, are always like very villainous and very wrought with like, you know, oozing with disgust and stuff. I think, yeah. I think literally the only love scene that isn't shot this way is in Mulholland drive. This, the scene I was talking about earlier, <laughs> like the, mm. the lesbian love scene in that is shot so beautifully with so much passion, but every other, like I feel like sex scene in any of his films is always treated as very dirty and, and wrong and, yeah. and, and psycho. <laughs> Yeah, um, I love how the, they they sink down into that pool in the bed. Yeah, really fucking cool. It's so gross. Um, when he is when they're laying in bed, like later on, and she's sleeping, and he's pulling the like big sperms out and whipping them at the wall, mm-hmm. uh, is like fucked up and crazy. Um, so. So yeah, Spencer has a vision where he is decapitated uh, by a creature resembling the child, uh, revealing a stump underneath uh, that resembles the child's face. Uh, Okay, yes. So soon afterwards, Spencer sinks into a pool of blood and falls from the sky, landing on a street below. Uh, Oh, Spencer's head, sorry. Uh, A boy finds it who is Jack Nance's uh, son, Mm. uh, brings it to a pencil factory to be turned into erasers. Yeah. Pretty normal stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's... uh, (laughs) There's a really funny scene, too, like with the place that does the pencil making where there's the guy ringing the bell over and over and and the manager comes out and just screams at him. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he like points at him. He's like... Okay, Paul. <laughs> yes, that's great. I love. And it. then he pulls the kid into the room, and we get this like kind of like long like shot where 
they take that little gun and you know suck <laughs> out some of his head and then make erasers out of it and the guy's like it's good it's fine <laughs> and they pay the yes. boy and it's like a dream i guess because henry just wakes up from it he just yeah the next shot we see he's like laying in bed sort of like in the hangover of that fucking nightmare right so spencer seeks out the uh beautiful girl across the hall but finds her with another man with uh, a very greasy uh mustachioed gentleman oh yeah uh i would feel so fucking bad if i like (laughs) if like one of my exes was like dating a guy like this or something (laughs) like i'd be like what the fuck i would feel so bad about myself because this guy looks like a fucking creep yeah no, for sure. I would not I would not love it if my ex ended up with um a psycho creep. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um and your all your exes live in Texas, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh so Crush Spencer returns to his room where the child is crying. Guy can't catch a break. Uh, he takes a pair of scissors and for the first time removes the child's uh swaddling. Uh, it is revealed that the child has no skin. Uh, the bandages held it its inter- internal organs yeah. together. This kid is all organs, out. baby. Yeah, baby. Uh, <laughs> uh, the child gasps in pain, and uh, Spencer cuts its organs with uh, scissors. <laughs> Disgusting. Yeah. Um, truly horrifying. The wounds gush a thick liquid covering the child. Yeah, when that pussy stuff starts to come out, that's really... Like, when there's more pus than child, it's like fucking... That's what I'm like. Okay, we can cut now. <laughs> um, the power in the room overloads as the lights flicker on and off. The child uh, grows to huge proportions. This is w- one of my favorite... Uh, moments when we just see the lights flickering and we see the big ass fucking alien head floating around the room so fucking cool um when the lights burn out completely the child's head is replaced by the planet uh spencer appears amidst a uh, billowing cloud of eraser shavings also very cool uh the side of the planet bursts apart and inside the man on the planet struggles with his lovers uh which are now emitting sparks spencer is embraced warmly by the lady in the radiator as uh, both white light and white noise crescendo white white noise exactly uh eric i want to propose that as we conclude each one of these episodes instead of asking like what did you think of the film i want to ask like what did you think slash what do you think this film means Means? yeah like i want love it I want to know from your point of view, having, you know, lived with this film as long as we have and like, you know, being such a lynch head. What do you think, bud? Eraser This head. is just <laughs> another piece of propaganda from Big Pencil. I mean, it's <laughs> it's obvious. It's in the name. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I buy into, um, and Lynch has denied this. He said that it's not what this movie is about. But I still buy into the, because of all of the um, parallels that this is um, about Lynch's like fear of childhood or uh, fatherhood. And, um, the, you know, there's a lot of similarities. A lot, obviously, uh, you know, he didn't have like an alien child and like kill it with scissors 
or anything like that. But I do think that it, it, it's like pretty clear that a lot of what was going on in Lynch's personal life uh, sort of informed the story. Um, I would say to me, though, this movie captures the feeling of just dread and anxiety like better than uh a lot of <laughs> like films it's it's just it's really fucking dark and it doesn't really like give you any sort of break or any kind of relief or anything and the whole thing for me even watching it for like the seventh or eighth time probably uh is like very uh it it it's hard for me besides like visually to like totally put my finger on what i like about this movie because it does like make me feel the same way that i feel when i'm like really anxious about something like the whole time like the entire movie um but there's something really like fun about it too i don't know i i think this movie is like just generally about anxiety um, and you know, around the time Lynch talks about this being his most spiritual film and around the time that he was making this movie, he discovered TM and it changed his life. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, that might kind of play into this as well, but, but yeah, I think that this movie, I do think that this movie is about his fear of childhood overall is, is the short answer. Uh, what do you think this movie means? Um, I, so I, th- I agree with you. I definitely think the film is about lo- like, like on the very broadly on the very surface, it's about a couple who's not ready to have a kid or about like not ready to take responsibility for like a family or the fear of having a family or the fear of being a young person having a family um, or the fear of having a child ruin your life or the anxiety of childbearing, you know, that kind of stuff. I think those themes are definitely in there. I think it's also like the, the loose fear of like the nuclear family period, mm-hmm. like especially in like this weird time in, in history where I guess the pro- like the boomer promise is not very like mm-hmm. solidable. It it doesn't like it doesn't end up working out for a lot of people, you know, and there's like a lot of like I don't know, broken home type shit and a lot of like displacement of people that ends yeah. up happening because a lot of broken social scenes out a there. A lot of broken social scenes. <laughs> but I think there's also like some like like what the like what does the man in the planet represent? You know, like what does the er- the eraser head actually mean? Like w- the fact that his, the inside of his brain is made of erasers, you know, an eraser, yeah. like it, er- it er- what, what does that do? It erases something. It gets rid of something, you know? And like, what are the pencils? What does the pencil represent? And, you know, like you see all these like potted, unpotted plants, right? And they're like... Mm-hmm wood is growing out of them and you make pencils from wood and at one point there's a giant tree on stage and it bleeds and Mm -hmm. there's i guess there's like a lot of imagery that seems to tie into itself right like yeah the wood and the pencils and the eraser and the eraser head and his hair is like no accident like his hair looks like a pencil's eraser and you know and i guess like for me that's the fun of a david lynch film right there is that 
and like he even says this himself like you can't make a film like these films without having limitations you put on on yourself like he puts very specific limitations on himself there are rules to these films that he he himself follows so and i it's not that i don't think he puts in random stuff because i think he does but I also think that most of the time, each thing represents something and you can kind of like follow it if you're paying attention close enough. At least you can follow a version of it that might make sense to you. I think for me, you know, I've never been able to fully reckon with like, what does the title mean? Like other, I, I like your, yeah. I like your interpretation of anxiety. It definitely feels like the man in the, pl- like the planet is his head and the man in the right. planet is his basically his anxieties, right? Like it's the person who's like managing the machine that is Henry. And at the end we see basically the machine is going nuts. It's like overloaded. It is about to burst and it does burst. Um, and is that his death? And is like the person in the radiator, the woman in the radiator, is that like, is that heaven? It's a person singing about heaven. Does that mean that she, you know, is she like the angel trying to, call him home or whatever is that like how she functions in the story is the end his death you know i don't know but i know that like eraserhead is one of these films that you know like not unlike mulholland drive i've thought about a lot and i just can't i just don't know not all of it i can't reckon with all of it but I guess that's what makes it such a such a compelling narrative is that I I can come come back to it over and over again and notice li- new things about it, right? Yes. Like like there's something about the eraser or the pencil dust that I noticed this right. time that I didn't really notice before. And I was like, well, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> the pencil shavings. My interpretation of the eraser stuff is like. Um, f- this is a very sexual movie. Uh, and b- just follow me here for a moment. A pencil is a very phallic uh, uh, sure. object. Yeah. Um, so we see, like, in the beginning, uh, uh, we see basically, like, the, Lynch's interpretation of, like, inception of a child, like this little sperm coming out of the guy's mouth or the guy pulling a lever. Um, and we see that he's kind of like faced with this uh, consequence of, of, you know, uh, procreating that can happen. And he has this like deformed uh, child that he clearly he doesn't love. And he has this vision of this woman in the radiator who I also don't exactly know what the woman in the radiator means. But what we see is in that vision right before he does kill the child is we see her gleefully dancing around and stepping on these little like sperms that are falling from the ceiling. Right. Uh, killing these little, you know, what, what would be children. And then uh, Spencer goes and he kills his own child. Uh, and in that vision, we also get like the eraser thing. So he's like erasing uh, what he did essentially. And like, what are like the repercussions of that? And, and, and everything. So that's, that's kind of like my interpretation of the eraser part is him kind of like in the beginning of the film, we see him create something. Um, and then we see him erase it, uh, later on is, is like sort of a distillation of it. I like Um, that, but that's what I fucking love about Dave. Just like having these conversations and like thinking about a movie on a level that's, 
deeper than just like, hmm, was that like, uh, was that act three like good or whatever? Or was like, how was that performance or whatever? Like, just like, I think about David Lynch movies like so much differently than I think about other films. And I would say Kubrick is actually like a pretty close, pretty close to that as well, especially as some of his later stuff. Like, I think about Eyes Wide Shut on like the same level as what I think of how I think about uh, Mulholland Drive or an Eraserhead, uh, which is one of the reasons I think it's so great that we're covering both of these. I also did want to like just very briefly compare this to because we did watch Fear and Desire uh, mm-hmm. last week, right? It's so interesting to me that Kubrick, who is like notorious for being a perfectionist. Um, his first film is Fear and Desire, which if you didn't watch it or listen to our episode is uh, not very good. Um, it's definitely kind of like a student level, like 1950s war film that has some very good shots in it, but is is not a good movie at all. Right. And this movie is something that David Lynch spent six years on. <laughs> and it's just this fucking like masterpiece yeah. that he crafted and just put his life into for years yeah. uh, and all these other people did too. So it's like a very interesting sort of contrast of like freshman uh, feature. Films. I was, I was, ju- I was thinking that the whole time I was watching Eraserhead, where I was like, wow, uh, Kubrick needed like four films to really get going. And uh, David Lynch, I think Eraserhead's my favorite David Lynch film. I mean, interesting. It, it might it might not be. I'm excited to see where I land after we go through the entire the entire filmography in this podcast. But you know, for I I would always say before starting this that Eraserhead was my favorite. I I liked it better than almost anything. I mean, it's just like it's it's in my mind it's nearly a perfect film. So I do think yeah. that is weird for like two incredibly competent filmmakers, United you know U.S. filmmakers, to have such a different starting point you know because we oftentimes think of kubrick you know he's the master right we don't often think like oh david lynch is the master we think david lynch is the weirdo kubrick is the master but like really if you look at like who came out of the gate swinging the hardest it was lynch you know (laughs) again we're about to watch uh killer's kiss is our next kubrick uh film and that one's also not very good. <laughs> so, so you know. Oh, you've seen? Have you seen that one? Uh, I've, I've I've watched parts of it before. I'm not okay. ex- particularly looking forward to it. I'll tell you that. But I'm look <laughs> I'm looking forward to Elephant Man quite a bit. You know. So me too. Yeah. I think that I think that yeah. I'm not. I mean, until the killing. I think the killing is the first Kubrick film that I am obsessed with. That I really like. So. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um. Yeah, so next episode we will be covering uh, Killer's Kiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've heard Jeremy's ringing endorsement. Yep, I've already, I've already um, bashed it. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's important, though, to like watch all of these. If we're really going to talk about these these directors, we have to watch the good and, and the bad. And the ugly. Uh, and the ugly. Um, I want to know, tweet at us if you have your own sort of like interpretation of Eraserhead. I love that kind of shit. Um, I... I, I, I I'm always down to have have some uh, David Lynch discourse. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Tweet at us at Chucky Rules 420. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. 
Um, Jeremy, do you have any uh, listen to video games a comedy uh, show? I always forget to put the fucking. I'm gonna remember this time to throw that commercial in into this episode. Oh hell yeah, dudes! Listen to video games a comedy show. Oh yeah. Also, I I actually had a couple other podcasts launch recently. I had um uh well season two of stories but shorter. That's on the Campfire Network. Um, could, please take a listen to that if you if you have if you want to hear a, a podcast that I produce. I'm not on it. It's you know, um, uh, short stories being read by pretty famous authors, and there's a quick little interview afterwards. I put a lot of production value into that, though, so like music and scoring and and ambiance and noise and atmosphere. Also, uh, Connor McCabe, mutual friend of me and Eric's, yes, uh, he has a new podcast that's launching uh, this week, or it sh- I guess when this comes out, it will have already been out since Monday. It's called Call Me By Your Game. And it is a uh, it is another video game type podcast where we, we bring on comedians and we and they uh, Connor interviews them about a game that they used to love when they were kids, and uh, it's a very it's like love it's it. a very thoughtful podcast. I'll say it that it's funny, but it's also very thoughtful. So uh, take take a listen to that. Yeah, uh, and you can get any of those anything that we produce. You can get anywhere podcasts can be found: Spotify, Stitcher, I you know Apple Podcasts, you name it. Exactly. Um, yes. And uh, all of the artwork will be updated shortly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the art, I will say for Stan and Dave, is very good. It's very good. You know, I got to say, I should have... Uh, I think David Lynch's complexion is a little too pale to like match. Because the Kubrick, the Kubrick uh, one just like looks like Kubrick, kind of. Uh, his skin tone like matches the body of the man mm-hmm. that I... Whatever it, it it it's dumb. Uh, and with that, I will uh, of course say our famous sign-off line, which I said last week. Norma, I'll see you in my dreams. <laughs>